Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. somebody uh, not me but i hope somebody no i think it should be you compiles a definitive list of rankings you know mm-hmm. of nicholas cage red box appearances bruce mm-hmm. willis red box appearances because mm-hmm. there's got to be like a cream of that crop too right why you know? not you alex there's, there's got to be somebody trying <laughs> why not you man i mean i'm almost masochistic enough to do it it's true I... <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah passion project <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> Passion mm-hmm. of, of the negative variety. Mm-hmm. Passionate hatred. Exactly. <laughs> oh, boy. No, I don't hate Nicolas Cage. He rules. He's he's awesome. I love him in Bad Lieutenant. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mandy. Yeah. Great Friggin' movie. Deadfall. I made you watch Deadfall, right? <laughs> I don't... That's the one where he's the gangster, early 90s. With Michael Bean. I don't think you maybe watch oh that. Oh my God. We got to yeah. watch some clips of that sometime. We might have to. One of the most <laughs> free performances I've ever seen. He's really? holding nothing back. All right. We're going to have to watch this. It's, it's incredible. We have to make this happen. Yeah. Let's just yeah. hop right into this. <laughs> All right. Let's just do it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Goat Season. We are so happy to have you with us. We're excited today to talk about The Sopranos. This is a podcast about the greatest individual seasons of television of all time, their most memorable episodes, and their creative teams, both in front of and behind the camera. I am your co-host, Phil Mitchell, and along with me is the one and only Alex Sinesi. Good to have you, man. man. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So we are at the halfway point right here. Episode seven, down neck. This is the last episode, I believe, 
shot by Alex Sakharov and then Phil Abraham is going to shoot the rest of the season. Has it been so far? I mean, we're, yeah, like you said, we're in episode seven. What's this been like for you just to, to take these apart, these last six episodes? You know, on the one hand, it's been so much fun to watch the show again. It, mm-hmm. It's so compulsively watchable. It's so funny. On the other, like I said, you know, I've, I've been wavering back and forth about whether this really is the best season. Mm. Um, it's it's tough because I think my perspective is so rooted in me watching this season for the first time on DVD, yeah. whereas season three was where I jumped onto the actual show and started watching it live. Okay. So my perspective on season three on is definitely colored by seeing that week to week, mm-hmm. whereas this season I just crushed the DVD set, you know, right. in short succession and it was so satisfying but to look at it now you know there are episodes that uh definitely show this was a production with growing pains they Mm -hmm. were still figuring it out and this episode is a perfect example of that i think i would agree i would agree there's a few other episodes that don't quite work for me this being one of them and even still this episode i wouldn't say is necessarily a bad episode of television it just doesn't measure up to the others around it, right? Yeah, the the quality feels off. I think in terms of the writing, I can see how everybody was excited about this episode. I can see how David Chase really liked the concept of this episode, setting mm-hmm. it in Newark in the past and really getting some of that early scenes of Goodfellas vibes on it. Yeah. And uh, it was the first episode that uh, Robin Green and Mitchell Burgess wrote. And you feel like they're, they get the voices of the characters for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's more just in the execution that it feels off. Mm-hmm. Just as a recap of the episode, this episode is focused on AJ Soprano. And he's kind of the through line, I would say, all the way from the beginning to the end. Um, he's in the first uh, scene. He's in the last scene. Um, and so during this episode, it starts off with AJ getting suspended from school for drinking the communion wine. So he's got three days out and the school officials are very worried and they recommend AJ for ADHD and learning disability testing. This obviously worries Carmela and Tony. Tony kind of wrestles with this during his therapy sessions with Melfi. He talks about his role as a father, his influence on his son, and even the influence of his father on him. Um, his father being Johnny Soprano. And the episode ends uh, with Livia learning that Tony is seeing a therapist, which is kind of the more propulsive part of the episode that definitely swings thing into, into high gear. Yeah, that's the one bit of connective tissue kind mm-hmm. of across the season arc here. Mm-hmm. That's the one event that takes what had come before and, and springboards us toward the, the last batch of episodes. I was watching that episode and it reminded me of I think it's episode four, Meadow Meadowlands, Lands, yeah, where, where he has the dream and he sees AJ, who has been watching him coming out of Melfi's office. Yeah, and AJ had the subplot in that episode too, where he got in the fight at school. Mm-hmm. And that felt like the perfect <clears throat> amount of AJ, the perfect way to relate him thematically to the overall concerns of the episode. I, I think that's one of my big issues here is that this episode is uh, too much AJ. Yeah, it's 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 AJ heavy. Um do we want to talk about Eiler or are we going to focus on the yeah, actual I mean, episode? Yeah, what we noticed we can, about it. We can talk about him a bit. We can mm-hmm. get into his backstory. Sure. Yeah. So I think yeah. this was his first role. Like, I think he had been in commercials mm-hmm. and maybe had like a few guest appearances on like SNL or something like that. 
Um, and wait, guest appearances on SNL. I think so. What? Yeah, I think he had just like a small, small role as like maybe an extra or something like that. But he had oh, been weird. on SNL. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Like they needed a kid for the right? background of a sketch or something. Doesn't that what? seem kind of odd that, that yeah, like SNL weird. would even like cast a child. But I guess maybe. Yeah, I have no idea. Huh. Um, That's crazy. But yeah. What do you think about AJ as a character? My feeling, and not to be too rude to him, because I do think his performance is very good in mm-hmm. small doses, but mm-hmm. the show almost uses him as a prop for a lot of these seasons mm-hmm. where the entire idea is just, oh yeah, there's Tony's heir, as we said in college, sitting looking like uh, <laughs> modern suburban royalty, right. just lying and waiting. And you know, this kid is not going to be able to take the reins on on anything. And that's a perfect just encapsulation visually of how Tony's legacy is mm. going to just end with him. It's just going to crumble with AJ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's great in that function, but mm-hmm. uh, when they try to give him a larger role, it's it's usually not my favorite subplot on, mm-hmm. on the show. I mean, I think until you get really dramatic stuff with him late in the series, that that's kind of a good deployment of yeah. him. But he's such a different character at that By point. By that I point, mean, exactly. Yeah. I think that's probably him at his best. I think it's, I mean, Eiler, I think is solid all the way through the entire series. And I think you're right. The character doesn't really reach his most poignant or most impactful. I would say until the later seasons um, when he's dealing with things like related to depression and trying to really venture out on his own and be his own man and step out yeah. from under his father's shadow. Yeah. You look at this episode and there are these cutaways to him in the final scene where he's interacting with, Gandolfini and stuff like this and my thought was oh he would be giving a great kid actor performance on any network show any Mm -hmm. network show would have hired him and he would have killed it Mm -hmm. on the Sopranos it's not even that his performance is bad it just feels a little light compared to the other drama that's going on the kids don't feel incorporated quite in the same way there isn't that sort of intensity around them I think you're right and I think with Meadow Soprano, there's tension between herself and Tony. Like the writers made sure to write that into the character. You're right. I, they haven't written anything substantive for AJ by this point. It's almost as though he's responding to, or it's just like a point of reflection for other characters in a way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. only like in, in, in the scene where he discloses the fact that he knows that his father sees a therapist. That scene really isn't even about him. It's about Livia's response to that, right? Oh, yeah. I love yeah. the editing in that scene. Oof. That's that's my favorite scene in the episode, for sure. Well, is, yeah, okay. Just because of the, the rapid fire back and forth between Livia and AJ, mm-hmm. where she's like... No, he's not. Just yes, he not. And he's like, yes, he is. And <laughs> it's such a great call and response moment where <laughs> her conniving is not getting through to this kid at all. He is just this blank wall that all of her energy is ricocheting back off of. It's it's great. Yep. And Nancy Marchand does such a good job with him. Kills it. Yeah, Kills as it. always. What do you think about the flashbacks? I do not like them. I will oh, be honest. Okay. I am not into the flashbacks. Okay. Uh, I can understand how David Chase was sold on them how maybe this is something he wanted to incorporate from the beginning because mm-hmm. of the Goodfellas influence. It seems like something he would like. 
I just, I feel like this show is so rooted in the present though. My, my feeling about it was always that this is this very modern show where all the good times have already passed us by and that the past is so inaccessible to these mm-hmm. characters. And I felt like not showing it was always more powerful in that way. Yeah. And you get into these scenes and to me, like Johnny Boy and Livia in the flashbacks feel like sitcom characters doing yeah. very big stereotypical mm-hmm. Italian American performances. And mm-hmm. because, because they're outside of the performance energy of the rest of the show, I feel like there wasn't a good roadmap for them as far as how they should treat their characters at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah. And so I think that kind of would fall to the directing yeah. to give them the right tone and it just it's just not there like those scenes kind of make me cringe i gotta be honest they are definitely cringy yeah the thing that doesn't really quite work for me is the fact that the way that they are put together feels like it's kind of an odd mash that isn't completely coherent all the way through it feels like there's a lot of noise um and i remember watching the episode and you're watching the flashbacks you're seeing tony play catch or tony is you know making his way to the circus or the amusement park. And there are just moments where there's a lot of like non-diegetic music Mm -hmm. that just feel like they're meant to tell you that, hey, this is the 1960s or 70s. Don't forget that. Right. Even though it feels like the 1950s. Right. The way that it's set decked and and all of that. Yeah. So it's very odd. Very strange. The way we get out of the flashbacks is always so awkward. They do. They're just uh, hard, just hard cuts. Yeah, or like they'll fade to white. Which, which is also, yeah, that, that feels was very so strange weird too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was weird. And then I also noticed that they used a uh, a white pan like very, very early in the episode. Yeah, that's just really weird. weird. Very strange. It just it doesn't fit with the language that the show has been using over the past six episodes. No, it's it's more classical than that usually. And when mm-hmm. they want to be propulsive getting you into a scene, they'll do it with like a dolly move or a steady cam shot mm-hmm. and following the characters and giving you a sense of place. But mm-hmm. doing these fade to whites or like uh whip pans and things, it, it it does feel off. It feels, yeah, just like you said. And uh, you know, I hate to say it, man, because this is the only episode of The Sopranos directed by a woman. I think that speaks very much to the lack of infrastructure and opportunity for female directors working in the TV world at the time. (laughs) Basically, what I'm trying to get at is I feel really bad saying that this episode is badly directed and feels badly put together on that level. And yet I I think that's the conclusion that we have to draw. Mm -hmm. And I do wonder if that in some way prejudiced the production team toward not hiring female directors Mm. in the future you know Mm. i I don't know how rough of a time they had in the production of this episode um or if they just got into post with it and felt like well it's a little weak so let's try to juice it here and there Mm -hmm. that's definitely what it feels like to me when they do those super quick flash cuts back to college yeah that feels like all stuff that was just created in the edit to try and give some energy to some scenes. But uh, again, feels very out of place with the show. So yeah, so uh, Lorraine Senna is the name of the director. She uh, came up doing primetime soaps originally. She Mm -hmm. did Dynasty and Falcon's Crest 
And then she progressed into other network TV. But yeah, her her style just does not seem like a great fit for the show, unfortunately. I was just going to say, like, what do you think are some of the strengths of the episode? Well, I do think the strengths are in the performances. I I think in the end, you have such a strong cast and on the production side too, you know, you've still got the same director of photography doing a great job shooting it so that it matches up with the other episodes visually. Um, And you, you have, you know, Gandolfini and Edie Falco, they, their scenes don't have a lot of juice to them. I would say the Melfi scenes too really feel like they're lacking energy compared Mm -hmm. to last week where we had such a big shakeup and Mm -hmm. now things are just status quo again. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the actors are also strong. And I think that's the advantage of TV production is that even if a director comes in and isn't a good fit for your show, the show's own inherent strengths as a production will bring that episode up to at least a level of mediocre. Right. Uh, unless it's just a total disaster from a writing standpoint. Right. I feel like the one way that a show can really kneecap itself is if the writing on an episode is bad and that doesn't get corrected. You know, it's just like right. a bad idea where you have a character do something totally out of character and it screws up the logic of the show for an episode. I, I don't think that's the case here. It's, no, it's all just all. in the execution that it fails to live up to the standard of the show. I think it's just the actual technical aspects that really, uh, yeah, yeah, those are probably the biggest uh, detractors from the episode, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of that, I think, again, it's not a bad ep- episode of television. It's just not up to, again, the, the, the standards that the rest of them, what the rest of them are bringing to the table. That's the thing. It, it might even be a very a good episode of episode another of show. Mm-hmm. It's just that the standards of this show are so high. And I think because you had such a strong cast and such a strong production team, like I said, they're going to churn out an episode that's at least solid, mm-hmm. even if things are kind of a mess behind the scenes. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, some technical aspects of that. I definitely <laughs> noticed uh, some major seams in this episode. Like, sure. did you see the guy sitting at the desk when they're uh, playing pool in the back of the bada bing. Yeah, I did. He's just kind of like just sitting there, like almost motionless. Uh, Is that what that is? On screen. No. I'm pretty sure that's the onset producer. And the way he's sitting, he's leaned back so Mm -hmm. that he won't be in the shot. And the camera just pans right over to him. him. Wow. I saw that actually because I watched it earlier this morning. And I remember thinking, who is that dude in the background just not saying anything? Right. I've never seen this guy before. <laughs> so strange. Uh, for this one episode. Man, too bad they couldn't digitally edit him out. Yeah, yeah, like the coffee cup on mm-hmm. Game of Thrones. This guy is the Sopranos coffee cup. It's just the sort of seam in production that you wouldn't see in the later seasons. Like right. the, the show gets so polished. They had so much time and it really becomes immaculate. Season one is kind of the one where you still have these little bumps. And this episode is rife with them compared to any of the others. The other thing is during the flashbacks, I mean, anytime you have a wide shot, you have 90s sedans parked all up the block in the background and speeding by. And you just get the sense that they did not have the budget really to execute these flashbacks on quite the level they needed to. I think these days you would just have CGI cleanup on that stuff and they, were, they would just put in period appropriate stuff that far in the background, no problem. 
but here it's it's quite glaring. Sure. What else kind of stood out to you overall? Another big thing was just that this is the first appearance of Johnny Soprano, mm-hmm. Johnny Boy, and uh, it's weird. It, again, it like I said, it, having a character like this seems off to me. Like I, I like the idea of the show existing in the present where his father is this memory that we're never going to see. It's just right. something that Gandolfini carries with him in his face, in his trauma, in his life experience. But to see the guy and especially to have him portrayed in this kind of sitcom-y way, it's, it's a deflation. Yeah, I th- it's kind of a letdown, right? Because up until yeah. this point, he's kind of this specter that's floating over the whole show. And you're kind of curious about him because I think he mentions his father in a few episodes beforehand. Oh, it's yeah. Like, it's oh, yeah, so effective. Is, right? And it, yeah. you're just kind of like, man, who was this guy? And then you see him and you're like, hmm, not what I expected. Right? right? Disappointing here. So, yeah, it, it doesn't quite doesn't quite work. I don't Even think. when Livia mentions him in the episode when she's talking about him and she says to Tony, tell me one time that your father didn't do exactly what he wanted. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, man. There's some real bitterness there mm-hmm. underneath all the he was a saint yep. crying to my hanky stuff. She's actually furious with him still. He really gave her a hard time. Yep. It makes you wonder how much of a victim she was in the early part of the relationship, how right. much she was really hurt by him and how that pushed her into being so emotionally toxic. Yeah. Uh, and, and that works great but it just isn't reflected nearly as strongly in the flashbacks. No. Uh, in regard to him, I think the the actress who plays Livia does a somewhat better job. I think it, so. It's hard to imagine her turning into Nancy Marchand, I have to say. Oh, I could totally see it. You could see I it? I could totally yeah. see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, she definitely I, has the hair. The hair she is definitely great. has the hair. She has the mannerisms of someone, a younger person, still capable of being explosive and erratic before mellowing into something sour in the way that Livia is. The scene of her, we might as well just go ahead and do it. Like the scene where she is standing over young Tony, losing her mind with the fork in her hand, talking about how she's going to, you know, poke your eye out. That in and of itself was enough for me to say like, wow, like this is horrifying. And I think it says a lot about Tony's character because here he is 40 something years later, still trying to care for this woman, trying to obtain her, her love essentially failing at it, despite all of the awful, horrible stuff that she has done throughout his childhood and adolescence. Yeah. It's traumatizing mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. And that, that scene did stick with me from this mm-hmm. episode. Definitely. It, it is terrifying. And I, I just remember mm-hmm. because as soon as she says that, the camera then cuts to Melfi and Melfi is just like, oh my God, she is shocked in hearing that. And Gandolfini is just kind of like trying to play it off. Like, yeah, that happened. He knows, like, I think internally he knows he, that how terrible that was. But, you know, he has this pattern of trying to protect both of his parents because he can't, he can't come to terms with the idea of like hating either one of them. Sorry, my cat is attacking the blinds right now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I heard that that struggle there. <laughs> yes. I hope that ends up on the recording. <laughs> Might as well. Why not? <laughs> oh, they're like little demons you invite into your home. It's great, man. You love them. You oh, yeah. love them. Oh my gosh. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I thought the characterization of mental health is uneven throughout yeah. this episode. We've got Melfi on one end of the spectrum and she's doing her job. She's working it. She's completely present during the session. She even holds her tongue. She bites her tongue and is incredibly patient when Tony is kind of flaunting the whole, oh, I've got several girlfriends type bit that he's doing um, in their first session. Like you can tell she's kind of seething. Uh, She's hot under the collar, but she just kind of keeps her professionalism uh, at the forefront. And then on the other hand- It's such an attack. It It is, right? He's really- attacking her in that moment with this information he mm-hmm. he thinks that he's really going to burn her throwing it in her face but i don't think he realizes how revealing he's being about right. his modus operandi in that moment mm-hmm. and how much she can take that internalize it and be like oh yeah so this is how how you tick you yep. know mm-hmm. she, she really does remain cool there um, and I, I think he ends up like revealing more about himself and, and weakening his position. Absolutely. Actually. On the other hand, the school psychologist, weird dude, <laughs> yeah. weird dude. Yeah. Just odd. Yeah. I, I don't understand what's happening. It's just his whole vibe and the dynamic there just seems kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, I guess ADD was a really big thing at mm-hmm. this point. I feel like this was the peak of riddle and prescription mm-hmm. and ADD becoming this really like hot button issue of this is why your kid isn't doing well in school. Right. And I, I guess it's, it's reflective of that. Has that tapered off pretty fully? I would in say your mind? so. Yeah. I would say so. Cause I mean, they, they just, they point out in the episode how ridiculous the, the diagnosis for it seems. I mean, the whole, what constitutes a fidget, a fidget. line right. is pretty great. Right. But I was just wondering what your thoughts were as far as treatment of ADD and and how seriously that's taken as a disorder these days. I would say it's actually taken pretty seriously. And I think that there's probably a lot more information about it. I think even the nine criteria that the school psychologist lists, that's broadened over the last 20 years. And so I Mm -hmm. think that there's a wider understanding of what ADHD is and what it looks like than there was 20 years ago for obvious reasons. I wouldn't say it's as widely prescribed as it was before, but I think we maybe have a better understanding of the symptoms than we did uh, at the time of this episode. Yeah. I don't really know how we're supposed to, how we're supposed to interpret the two of them, Tony and Carmela, just standing up and walking away from that meeting uh, with this professional, because it seems just kind of like there's, we're supposed to feel like, all right, I guess it was bullshit. We're not supposed yeah. to think that there was a problem or... And that what? it's been resolved now. Yeah. 
they reject that hypothesis mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as QT would say, mm-hmm. and they're, they're out the door, <laughs> but it does seem very facile compared to the way that therapy is portrayed on the show. Otherwise, yeah. uh, it feels very much like the network TV and movie playbook in regards to the therapy up to that point You're where right. it's a grift. It's something that mm-hmm. there is being done by weird people mm-hmm. who think about human emotions in ways that don't relate to mm-hmm. our, the characters we like. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they basically have to stand up and say, no, no, with my willpower, I'm going to reject this whole therapeutic concept. Yep. And I, yeah, I think that's a, a thing that it's very good that we've gotten away from. It's ridiculous. Yeah, seems unnecessary. And I don't know why that was placed into the episode because it, again, it seems so antithetical to the show's treatment and, and, and characterization of therapy and just psychology yeah. in general for the past six episodes. Livia knows. Livia knows now. That's the big moment, right? That's the That's biggest big. moment in the episode, right? That's basically the moment that makes this episode crucial to the extent that you couldn't just take it out of the the season lineup, you mm-hmm. know, uh, is that, yeah, this, this huge piece of information gets spilled by AJ. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that sets up the, the conflict. That is Livia's main piece of ammunition that she's going to use to endanger Tony for the rest of the season. Yeah. I think that's interesting what you just said there, which was you take that scene out of the episode. Do you just skip it? If that isn't there, does it feel as though the episode is almost inessential? Uh, kind of, in my, in my opinion. I, I don't know. I, I always err on the side of a show having less episodes per season, being tighter, mm-hmm. and not really having a dip in a, its pacing and its story arcs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, that does, to a certain extent, go against the strength of TV of having so much cumulative time with characters, having so much development of them, having quiet scenes like Tony making ice cream with his son. It all it all sort of depends on your taste, I guess. For me personally, yeah, I would take that scene out, put that in the edit of a different episode and just make the whole thing a cleaner, shorter season. What about you? I, I want to disagree. I feel like I just have to like disagree, but I think yeah. ultimately you're right. It, it, it <laughs> I think ultimately you're right. I I, I really want to fight argue me on this. I am one. not going to fight you. All on right. this. I want right. to. You want to on an right. ideological level, I do. but on a practical <laughs> one, you're like, yeah, yeah, you could let this episode go. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. fair enough. Fair I'm pragmatist at heart. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is the first appearance of Janice, but yes. uh, only as a little girl in flashback. I do like though how when Tony says her name in therapy, when he says Janice, mm. he starts talking about how. She's changed her name because she's become a a Buddhist and things like that. You get a sense of this bitterness, this outrage Mm -hmm. left over that actually tracks perfectly onto the character once she appears. She is a lot. She is a lot. I I love Aida Turturro on the show so much. She friggin' rules. I, I know some people love to hate her but i'm yeah. like that is the character functioning exactly <laughs> as intended you know yep. <laughs> don't blame the show no. for enraging you every time janice comes around uh. she's incredible though yeah I'm, I'm watching season two right now i'm 
going to end up just rewatching the whole show. I already yeah. know. But she's definitely the character who feels missed the most mm-hmm. going back to season one. She's really the part of the dynamic that the show the show does feel a, a little more slight for just for lack of her. Oh, uh, Michael B. Jordan is in this episode. One of his first what? appearances ever. He's what? the kid. He chases after uh, young Tony oh, right before right. he shows up at the amusement park. Oh, my gosh. Uh, crazy to think that just off those few lines, he might have been cast in the wire. Yeah. And there you go. I mean, you know? man, that guy's career. Whew. Yeah. Who would have known? Right. Who I mean, known? he's one of the only people working today where I'm like, he's a real movie star in the mm-hmm. classic sense where his charisma and his energy can carry a giant movie mm-hmm. almost single-handedly. I didn't even recognize him. And I've seen this episode probably t- two or three times at this point and I, I, didn't I even recognize watching him. him specifically this last one. And yeah, he, he really you isn't recognizable just between like his haircut and like the period clothing he's wearing. Yeah. He, he just doesn't look like Wallace at all. Yeah, yeah. that's right. As this show progresses, there's a number of other well-known actors that just kind of pop up. So I think we had seen Bodie from The Wire a few episodes back, Michael B. Jordan. I'm pretty sure Will Arnett also shows up in this show. Yes, he does. In a few, yeah. Not He's this, Danielle's uh, that's right. boyfriend in mm-hmm. the FBI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like <laughs> seeing this. It's like, oh yeah, you're there. Good to see you, man. Yeah, it's it's always cool to see when a show has really strong casting directors and they get all these people before they pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were saying that your favorite scene was when AJ learn or when AJ discloses that Tony's seeing a therapist. Is that right? Yeah, mostly just because of the editing there. Okay. You know, they might have shot it where it didn't quite have that energy, but they they just got enough coverage of both AJ and Livia that they were able to make these really rapid cuts back and forth between them. And it feels like an I think you should leave sketch or something. It's one of those cases where maybe that was intended on the day or maybe that's something that they found in the edit. I could mm-hmm. definitely see it being the latter. That's a great yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah, that's that's my favorite for sure. I, I like the scene with Junior showing up later, how Junior is now so secure in his position as the boss uh, that mm-hmm. he's just complimenting Tony left and right. Mm-hmm. It's a real love fest between these guys. And it's Absolutely. crazy to think that their relationship is going to deteriorate so much just over the next couple episodes. Yeah. What a character. We're going to get into <laughs> him in a few episodes later. Love oh, that yeah. guy. His so showcase good. is coming up. Uh, it's beautiful for stuff. so i give melfi a b i think she does a pretty good job she's solid this episode isn't it weird to you though that this is coming right off the episode where tony tries to kiss her where he tells her he loves her yeah and it just doesn't feel like they dig into that in a really substantive way it feels like they just go back to business as usual which kind of reinforces the whole why is she letting him get away with all this? How is she keeping him on as a client? And how is she able to just go back to a a standard operating procedure with Mm -hmm. him? You know, I'd say that's one of the weaker points of the writing throughout this season. She doesn't hold him accountable. They don't further explore his admission. They drop it essentially. So here's my big question about this episode. Oh no. (laughs) So, This episode is probably the most flashback heavy 
of the entire run of the show. Mm-hmm. Any other time they they jump back in time, it'll be for one brief scene. There's never really another episode that's organized around the past to the extent that this one is. And the Sopranos movie, The Many Saints of Newark, I'm curious, does this worry you about the potential efficacy of that as a follow-up? Because that movie is going to be completely rooted in the past they didn't bring back any of the cast. Mm-hmm. So as a long gap follow-up, does that worry you? I personally am a little skeptical about it, especially watching this episode again, because I'm just like, this tone does not fit with what I really like about the show. And even if David Chase is really interested in this time because of the historical context of the Newark riots, mm-hmm. how's that going to function as a uh, Sopranos prequel? I see what you're saying. Yeah. I, I, I'll be curious about, I'm not particularly worried. I guess I'm not worried. Maybe that's just the easiest way for me to put it. I I, yeah. I feel like it's not going to have a large bearing on the show, you know, that ran from 2000, from 1999 until like 2006, 2007. I'm not really sure. Um, oh, so you're, you're not worried about it hurting the show's legacy is yeah. what you're saying, mm-hmm. but, but you wouldn't say you have high hopes about it either. Yeah. I can't really say I'm particularly invested or like have particularly high hopes for it either. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know either. I mean, I, maybe I do a little more like because of this rewatch, but I'm still just like this, this doesn't feel like a vital follow-up. It's not like the end of uh, Deadwood where they didn't get to finish the show. And then 20 years later, they make this TV movie sequel that, in my opinion, was just like a profound disappointment. Oh, uh, the boy. tone of it was totally off. It felt awkward. It had such a uh, sentimental vibe to it, which the show never did. That show is just brutality in mm-hmm. the mud and grossness. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you get to this and it feels like this sweet TV reunion kind of thing. And uh, yeah, that was wild. <sighs> You know, I I wonder, though, have there been good feature film follow-ups with the same crew, with the same cast, with the same sort of creative team going on from a show? Um, I'm going to say no, but you can... You're going to say no, damn. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean... But keep going. I want to hear your opinion. The one that occurs to me is just uh, Serenity. We're talking Uh, about like an untimely Mm -hmm. canceled show Mm -hmm. that came back with a movie that was at least on par Mm -hmm. with the quality of the show. I think just because Whedon had so much stuff that he still wanted to get to with those characters. And yeah. it was only a few years after. But uh, as far as like long gap stuff, really nothing comes to mind. I don't think so. And I yeah. to get back to your original point, you touched on something that I think is probably how I feel, which is the show, The Sopranos, had its run. I don't think that there are any questions. There's nothing left to unearth that's vital and that we really need to know. Yeah. And so any sort of prequel... There's no interest really that I that I have there. I think the characters as they are are fully formed beings. They're great as they are. So I don't really need to see how Uncle Junior became Uncle Junior, or you know, see <laughs> he the... speaks for himself in right. the present. Ex- exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's how I feel about all of these characters that they're so well written in the show and developed so well over the course of the show that there's no real need for me to see anything more about them if that's even the the way that the the movie uh, pans out. It's where I'm at. Yeah. So as far as this episode goes in the overall season, I I would definitely say this is one of the weakest. We'll we'll get to our specific rankings at the end of this miniseries. But 
I guess the question is just, can a show have a week episode like this and still be a GOAT season? Can it Mm. still be one of the greatest of all times if it drops the ball on a single episode episode. basis? And Mm. I think it can, you know? I, I think that you absolutely have to account for a certain amount of experimentation on a show just to get the tone exactly where it needs to be. And sometimes that can be in a a season that's still so impactful, that still has such strong highlights and is so influential that that doesn't dampen it overall. And I, Mm -hmm. I think one of the best things you can say for this episode is that in the course of the whole season, it doesn't do anything disastrous. It doesn't mess up any of the characters, uh, motivations, any of our understanding of them to the degree where we're like, oh, we just have to ignore that one episode because Tony was acting really weird and Mm -hmm. did something really out of character. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have that kind of a problem to it. So you can take the bad with the good this season and still say that it's one of the best ever. Yeah. And again, I'm coming back to what we've said before, which is this isn't a bad episode of television. It's just not as strong as the other episodes around it. And I think, yes, you can definitely have a great season with a weak to middling episode. Mm -hmm. I think it's, yeah, totally possible. Yeah. And and like we're saying, it's a lot of it's just in the technical execution. I mean, I would argue even if the flashbacks were incredibly well executed on a technical level, if even if they were really lush and impressive and detailed and all of the characters were uh, really like perfectly cast and the performances were perfectly pitched, I would still say that conceptually it's not a great idea for this show. I would still say it's it's just sort of a weak concept for an episode where mm-hmm. it doesn't fit in with what we want the show to be. Right. But that being said, it's it's not disastrous either. Nope, not at yeah. all. Not at all. Power rankings? Yeah, let's do the power rankings. You want to go first or do you want me? No, you you go for it because I feel right. like you got, oh you got strong opinions. Mm, all right. I don't know about this, but right. <laughs> we'll see. All right. So at the five, I've got mental health workers because they are driving this episode school psychologist and melfi they're pushing they're pushing the plot along at four i've got aj at three tony and i don't really know about this one i wrote down at two livia soprano Mm. and one johnny but i actually think i'm going to reverse that after this discussion that we've been having and i think actually livia is at number one johnny's at number two I like that it's like Johnny and just in terms of Johnny's influence Mm -hmm. too, really. Mm -hmm. Not even like past Johnny's power ranking, but just the power, like the the shadow that he's cast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're just doing our top five here, but you could go much, much lower with my fifth choice. I just wanted to put him (laughs) at the bottom of my power ranking just Uh. to confirm (laughs) his overall position which is number five is junior uh (laughs) the power ranking absolute bottom whatever ranking you're doing he's gonna be the lowest rung which is so funny because he's the boss of the DeMeo crime family and he's definitely last on any power ranking (laughs) the way he's just obsequious and complimentary of tony here he's just almost like sniveling sucking up to mm-hmm. him now it's shameful it it's is some not... bottom feeder bottom <laughs> feeder bullshit right there it is some bottom feeder bullshit yeah and ab- above him so i put melfi at number four because okay. i sort of along the similar lines that, that you had mental health workers generally i think there's a certain 
weakness to her in this episode in that she isn't confronting the issue with her client more head on that he said he's in love with her, that he's got these wild emotional swings related directly to her. The fact that she just kind of gives him a pass on it this episode, I was like, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, in season two, Melfi gets so combative with him, which is a really good place for her in a lot of ways i think and and that continues on and off throughout the show that she'll really start to like dig into his issues in a in a more brutal fashion Mm -hmm. but here she's she's just kind of letting it all slide man Mm -hmm. so this is unusual i would do carmella three tony two normally i would put carmella above tony i think this is one of the rare episodes where she's so worried about aj that she ends up ceding a lot of power to tony especially Uh, in his last moment where he just walks out on the therapist and she's actually aligned with him for that's right that's a an unusual moment usually Mm -hmm. she would be pushing back against him you need to stay in this meeting good point tension driver so i'm gonna say that specifically to say that this is this is a weird dynamic for them (laughs) right that that she's she's actually gonna be like coming in below him in the power ranking all right and then uh yeah i mean uh, i'm with you like number one livia no question Mm -hmm. yeah she owns the episode mm -hmm. she still just has all the power in her hands and it's like and now she's picked up this additional piece of information yes that is just just an extra weapon crucial weapon for her to wield as the season goes on absolutely well said grandma with an extra just putting an extra round in the chamber that woman (laughs) she is she's always got one in the chamber she really does you're pondering Mm -hmm. but especially now you don't gotta guess uh any corrections or any other last thoughts I don't think so. You got any more thoughts? Here's a question for you. In the halls of TV progeny, we said AJ, Eiler, Meadow, Jamie Lynn Siegler. We think that they're pretty strong. I think that they give really consistent performances across the series. Oh, yeah. Meadow especially is a great Yeah, I think she's fantastic. Yeah. Who would we say, just character-wise, that we're not a big fan of from other shows? TV progeny. TV progeny. Mm-hmm. Oh man, dude, I feel like there was such a time late 2000s post lost where you had all of these big, you know, network ensemble genre shows where there would be a teenage kid in them that would just be the worst, man. Mm-hmm. Every time you would cut back to their storyline, it would be so cringy. Yep. I don't know if you remember there's this show <laughs> Late 2000s, I believe it was like Steven Spielberg and J.J. Abrams, like big shot producers. It was called uh, Terra Nova. I want to say it was like 2010, 2011, but it it had uh, Stephen Lang in it hot off of avatar and now he was going back in time to fight dinosaurs with this whole like colony of people who i guess are from the future and they go back to dinosaur times because that's that's just like their escape from the hell world of the future i don't remember this show super well but this is the vibe i got but i just remember there was a sullen teenage boy character who just wanted to sit in his room and listen to the cure (laughs) 
and shit. Wow. Oh my God. And there were dinosaurs right. outside, man. <laughs> there were freaking dinosaurs outside. And he just wanted to pout and listen to his Walkman. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I don't uh, know why, but the kid from Terra Nova is really okay. grinding my gears right now. Okay. All right. But yeah, that was just, that was a whole thing, man, with those lost clones. They would come in with these teenagers who would just be awful. And you would know every beat in their storyline. Mm-hmm. You would know that they're just going to be there it's it's such a condescending portrayal always too it's always just like oh you're a shithead now but you're gonna figure it out eventually and stop being such an obstruction to the plot but for now Mm -hmm. you just have to suffer through that like that the reboot of v was another one where it just had the worst teenage characters man oh yeah they were i remember i think her name the show homeland i'm trying to remember the name of the character i think it was dana Dana Brody, is that right? So she was uh, uh, Damian Lewis's daughter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Dana Brody, that character from 2009 onward to whenever it is that the character left the show, got a lot of hate. In the recaps and articles about the show, people were constantly just pooping all over that character and could not wait for her to be uh, done. Whenever she came on, on on the screen, people were ready to just revile her. It sounds like it sounds like you're carrying this secret torch for Dana Brody. Though. Not, it sounds like I'm, you're trying to defend her as this <laughs> unjustly scored character, though, man. We're I, talking about ones who drive us crazy, man. Right? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, she definitely that character got under my skin. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm trying to think. So of there is characters. lingering resentment. There is, there. but actually, I'm trying to I unlock was, your anger, you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to unlock your hatred. Um, I would. Let's see. I think the character's name is Glenn. Glenn from Mad Men, Sally's friend. Oh yeah, yeah just Sally yeah. Draper's friend. That one, yes. nah. And especially when Kieran and Shipka is actually really good. I think she's great. She as is. Sal- I think she's great. She's such an interesting character mm-hmm. on that show. She's she's a really good example of a show avoiding the annoying kid. Yeah, you know, perspective. Yeah, yeah. Glenn. Yeah, that Glenn kid's just weird. <laughs> It's just weird. He's just weird. He is. You're just stamping that. Yeah, that boy's not right. That weird. Bo- that boy's not right. All right. All right. Is it time for name that episode? Let's do it. You know how many I've got this time, right? If you say four, I'm really gonna be <laughs> flipping out, bro. <laughs> uh, You're like, nah, man. It's four this time. <laughs> you weren't ready. <laughs> You're getting an extra big portion now. Uh, yeah, man. Bringing in that McDouble. How, All right. how many you got? How many you got? Dose. Oh, god damn it. You knew it. You knew it. <laughs> you were just not applying the laws of dramatic structure to this I'm not, at all. No, it's just the all beginning right. and the end and no yeah. middle. Let, let's see how two feel. All right, here we go. So in this season one episode of The Shield, directed by mm-hmm. Nick Gomez, yes. Vic Mackey helps Connie quit a crack addiction. Meanwhile, Shane Bendrell and Lemansky investigate a strip club mugging ring. Mm. Is this a uh, dragon chaser? Oh my God. Yes, it is. Hell yeah. Good oh, job. Sick, is, dude. Is Lemansky's first name Curtis? I think so. That's what yeah. I thought. I, for some reason, I was just, I was reticent to, to write that down. They just always call him Lem. But yeah, I, I think yeah. it is. Yeah, Curtis right. Lem Lemansky. Yeah. Oh man, first season of Shield is is pretty crazy, man. I know you're high on it, man. It's a good show. I I mean I am, but at the same time, like I think that's a show that just gets 
better and better as it goes along too. Mm-hmm. So I don't really remember too much of this. Is it the sixth season of the shield? Is that the season where Franca Patenta makes, uh, has her own arc? Is that the fifth or the sixth uh, season? I think that's six. six? That okay. That's the one yet. I don't really remember as much. Same, same. Yeah. I don't know why. I, I remember early in it a lot because uh, Forrest Whitaker was still on for like three episodes. Right. And he has kind of a weak resolution in his arc to that season. It almost would have been better if they didn't bring him back mm-hmm. after the end of season five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Man, uh, go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say that show had some really, really good guest actors. I think they really brought in some strong talent just for like one or two seasons. Like they had Anthony Anderson. Oh, he's incredible. He's so awesome. He's uh, never given a performance like that again. No, has he? he is it's so, so weird. He is so he's frightening. So scary. Yep. Ah, uh, and yet they, like he's, he's just got all of these like Machiavellian, you know, machinations going on. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I want to just keep saying Mac. I mean, he's the Mac. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, he crushes it in that season. And I was like, yeah. oh man, is this going to be the start of him doing more of a, a dramatic turn? But uh, nope, not no, really. No, <laughs> not really swerved, ever man. again. Swerved yeah. on us hard. So yeah. They had, yeah. Anthony Anderson, Glenn Close. Sure. Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker. Those are the three that Uh, I remember. It's my assertion, dude, that Forrest Whitaker on season five of The Shield is one of the best guest characters to a season of TV ever, man. All right. Unbelievable in that season. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. Ah, yeah. Coming right I, off of uh, an Oscar winning performance. Oh, that's right. See, that's so funny because I was yeah. going to say, was that leading up to Last King of Scotland? But you're saying it came after, right? I think he he shot the role and then he did The Shield. And I think he won the Oscar as the, ser- as the season was airing. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he might have won an Emmy for that season too. But uh, that's crazy. What a year. What no a fucking kidding. year for that guy. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, all the yeah. stops. All right. Yeah, are we ready for number two? Yeah, man. All right. This season three episode of Breaking Bad is named after a song by the band America. Oh, is it uh, a horse with no name? Yes, but I need it in the right. God language. damn it. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to totally uh, Trebek this, man. Wow. Mm-hmm. I need it in the great language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the that's the name of the game is mm-hmm. uh, ridiculous specificity. So it's oh, in yeah. Spanish? Oh, yes. God damn it. Ah, oh, I wish. Think back I to Spanish, Spanish too, aren't right you? Now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, I can't translate it. Uh, All right. Caballo mm. sin nombre. Damn. That's a good. Ep- that's an interesting episode. Remind me. Remind me of that one. It's like the one where Walt tries to come home, and then Skyler's like, "Hell no!" Um, and it ends with the twins showing up in Walter's home, and I think he's in the shower, and they're gonna kill him with an axe, oh, yeah. and then they get the call from I think it's Gus, and they're like, "All right, well, we just got to back out." And he has no idea that he's almost just been murdered in his house. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, it's it's a good one. I think it sets up a lot to. It portends, I think, for, for a lot to come. How, how do you feel about season three of Breaking Bad overall? It's good. Like, even as we're talking about this right now, I'm thinking about that episode one minute. Oh, yeah. Which I think is in this season. And that's like that's... one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to talk about one minute more. 
yes. uh, as we as we go on, not just with this podcast, but specifically with The Sopranos yes. uh, season one. This is coming up again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. I, I do. Yeah, yeah. One minute rules. Oh, and uh, that reminds me, like one minute was directed by uh, Michelle McLaren. She's an incredible director of TV. Just yeah. to speak about uh, a really, really strong female director who primarily works in television. I don't think she's even had a feature. Mm-hmm. She was, uh, I, I want to say that Marvel was trying to get her to direct uh, Thor, the dark world. Oh, or maybe it was something else. Cause no, I think no, Patty Jenkins is supposed to direct that, but Michelle McLaren was definitely in talks to direct mm-hmm. a Marvel movie and it fell through. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, what a talent what a powerhouse Uh, everything that she has directed for breaking bad and then like others uh, Mm -hmm. episodes from other shows has been incredible love it and that that was just something i was thinking about in terms of like the sopranos never hiring another female tv director like michelle mclaren would have directed the hell out of an Mm -hmm. episode of the sopranos man yep oh Mm -hmm. my god it's just it's it's very much reflective of how much things have changed for the better mm-hmm. that yeah. uh the sopranos you know so glaringly was a show that only had one female director across mm-hmm. 86 episodes yeah 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 can't argue with you man all right man so uh yeah coming back next week with uh episode eight uh yeah. the legend of tennessee multisanti christopher very, very excited to talk about that one of my favorite episodes it's a good of one the season yeah Ugh. I'll just say uh, for all you out there, uh, we hope you uh, rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast app you're using. And uh, we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.